Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com what makes a life a good one is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect defend and save what you believe in every single day so what makes a life a good one In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome to Episode 619 with my return guest, Neil Brennan. Uh, I am Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for nuttiness. (laughs) I am not a therapist. Um... I really enjoyed the conversation you guys are going to hear with uh, with Neil Brennan. Neil is a uh, fellow comedian, very funny uh, comic. He has a new special out right now called Blocks that I uh, highly recommend uh, checking out. I also enjoyed his previous special, which was called Three Mics. Um, it is Thanksgiving as I am recording this, the night of Thanksgiving. And uh, I took a little time today to, as I do, Every Thanksgiving, I try to slow down and remember what I am thankful for. And uh, I just had a really nice conversation with my with my girlfriend this uh, this afternoon, where we just talked about how grateful we were for each other and the relationship that that we have, and how safe we feel uh, with each other, and how much we trust each other, and how there's no drama and uh it i i think it is so easy especially when it comes to our careers and stuff like that or our material possessions to forget to celebrate the things that we already have and i tried to do that today as well um to remind myself how lucky and grateful I am to be able to live in a home in Southern California, uh, where it it it's just it's I got in before it got crazy, and uh, I try to remember that instead of saying, "Oh my, am I going to live in a metropolis the rest of my life? Am I going to work till the day I drop?" Blah blah blah, and go into the headspace, and I and I felt such a relief after the conversation with my girlfriend and after just kind of looking around me and saying, wow, I've 
Um, I have a lot to be proud of and a lot to be grateful for. And I like to do that once a year and the rest of it's a shit show and fuck everybody. So there we are. There's, and I'm just quoting the pilgrims. Don't, you know, it's a, it's a, I'm interpreting what they said. I do kind of miss that style of rifle though, with the, the blunderbuss, with the big uh, trumpet end of the, of the gun. What was the purpose of that? Let's right at the very end of the guns, let's get rid of all accuracy and just see what happens. Or maybe if we run out of a, a coronet on the battlefield, somebody can blow into a rifle and get a little taps going. All right. Uh, this episode and this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. I've been using BetterHelp for six years, and you know, our brains and our lives don't come with owner's manuals. And for me, therapy is uh, the closest thing that I can get to a uh, an owner's manual for my brain, running stuff by my therapist, you know, getting her objective input on things, and especially helping uh, hear the ridiculous things come out of my mouth when I tell her the things that I say to myself. And that's helpful for me. Uh, so as the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online, plus it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash mental. That's betterhelp.com slash. Wow, a little trouble. Going great right till the end. Betterhelp. That's betterhelp.com slash mental. And uh, we're not doing any surveys uh, today it's Thanksgiving. I got to cut loose, huh? Gravy and laziness. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna dive right into that uh, conversation with uh, Neil Brennan, and away we go. Your fear of death is your love of life in reverse. I'm a kinky person. I didn't want to be... I'm, I'm ashamed. A sexual being. Deeply ashamed. You are... I want to live fucking depressed. But how? I can't do this anymore. I will be uncomfortable, so you will be comfortable. Is life just a series of perpetual losses? You're not depressed. We're black. There is no real chance for intimacy. We don't do that. Without risking being hurt push it all down you can't go around it Ireland, like we don't do mental health talk through is the only path no one is ever alone there's somebody else out there don't forget experiencing the same thing as you but the places you feel most broken now you just gotta look for them will one day be your greatest strength and when you find them it's a great feeling and i'm suddenly feeling horrible about <laughs> making that joke but that's how far i will go to get a laugh because i am empty inside uh, you're in the right place. I am here with uh, Neil Brennan, who is a return guest. I think I think you were on in like 2017, 2018. It was right after uh, Three Mics came out. Yeah, that would be 17. Really enjoyed your new special. Uh, Neil's got a special out on Netflix called Blocks. 
and uh, I assume that's that's got a double meaning. The uh, what? <laughs> I hadn't I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, let me point that out for you. Um, you do a wonderful job shitting on yourself, and I just want to tip my Thank hat you so to much. you for Thank you so so much. Not only being a piece of shit, but recognizing it publicly. Pure garbage. Yeah, a lot of people, and one of the things I could tell is that you're. You're rotten to your core, which a lot of people, they stop at the lungs, but you yeah, go right yeah, to go the all soul. The yeah. Yep. I go all the way to the, uh, the lowest chakra I can <laughs> Which get I to. think is the anus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the lowest one. So it's the core, my root. I go to my root chakra uh, and all I work my way up. Yeah. And did you crown. pick that up when you were in Venice? Uh, no, <laughs> we can't look. I can't. I don't want to blame that on anybody in particular. We can get into ayahuasca when you're ready, but, uh, yeah. So, so thank you for, for recognizing my, um, <laughs> my gifts, uh, in all seriousness, your, your special is great. It, it uh, texted Neil after I, uh, after I watched it and, uh, great blend, obviously of, of observation, you know, self-deprecation, and uh, just a really nice blend of darkness and vulnerability, which I think can be a really hard balance to strike as a as a comedian. The cynicism and vulnerability. The it was easier on the special before three mics because um, on three mics it was easier because it was like segregated. Yeah, like here's where I'm funny, here's where I'm emo, and here's where I'm funny again. Yeah, so. This was a harder mix of, um, they had to live closer together. Yeah. But once you establish it, people are, people are pretty sharp. Did you? And they can take more than you think they can. Yes. And, and I think they're more patient between punchlines than we think they are as comedians. For sure. Because that part of our brain that's like, oh, they're bored because they're quiet. N never imagining. It, it, it's That is, I think it's the, the right instinct in a comedy club. But if you take them yes. out of a comedy club and you take them out of, like, if you don't have an opener, if they don't, if you kind of make the rules yourself or if, you If you're just, not tainted by somebody talking about butt fucking a giraffe yeah, yes. in front of you. I mean, you call it tainting. I call it quality middle. Um, so... So, yeah, once you're, once they know what they're getting, I remember Chappelle, if I can bring up Chappelle in minute three of the podcast, <laughs> one time when we were really young, like 18, 19, him saying, he's like, you know how I opened with that longer joke about like Br'er Rabbit and all that mm -hmm. stuff? He's like, I do that so that the audience gets used to having punchlines spread out more. Which is like, really? Tell me more, 19-year-old person who's like incredible then. Uh, I think one of the greatest show business facts is that, uh, and this is for the elders out there, is I believe Dave set the record for the lowest star search score ever. That's not true. No? No, because he lost to, he beat my brother, Kevin Brennan, in a small world event. And then he lost to a guy named Lester Barry, but he didn't have the lowest score. He just so that's he a just rumor. Lost. That's he just a lost rumor. fair and square. Did you ever do Star Search? No. When yeah. I moved to to Los Angeles, 
uh, I got an agent and I said, the only thing I don't want to do is star search. And that was the and only thing they got you. First thing they got yeah, me. Of and of course. course I needed rent money. Yeah. So I agreed to it. But you know, there's a really nice, uh, luxury when you have the occasional thing in show business that you don't give a fuck about. So I didn't give a fuck. So I would make up introductions that Ed McMahon would read just to hear them come out of his mouth. And <laughs> you, you wrote for it? No, I was a stand up on it. Okay. And so uh, they'd say, how do you want Ed to introduce you? And I was like, well, they're not going to fucking fact check this thing. Yeah. Uh, so Ed introduced me one time as you may know him from Baywatch as Jojo the Lotion Boy. So how many, so it sounds like you had a bit of a run on Star Search. How many did you do? <laughs> I did. I think I did four. That's pretty and good, then dude. lost to, uh, Kevin James in the finals or semifinals. What year? 92? No, 94? Great. 94. Um... But it was one of the only things where I hated myself the more successful uh, I I was. Well, it's not a good barometer. It's a I mean, horrible it's, barometer. It's, I did some talk shows uh, last week, like late night talk shows. And you forget, like I'd done five or seven podcasts leading up to it. Mm-hmm. And then I did a talk show and it was like, oh, I forgot like the first date formality of this. Yeah. And it's also diminishing return to this point because, like, more people are going to hear me on Rogan than they are ever going to see me on a talk show. It's the new Tonight Show. Yeah. So, yeah. So, and they get, like, if you watch Rogan and you don't like me, fair. Like, fair. Like, you saw who I am. Uncensored. Yeah. Like, you saw what I'm like. You saw what I'm like. I mean, it's not me doing comedy, but it's me being, like, engaging. So, so I'm not if but if you saw me on the Tonight Show and like I seem a little stiff, I was a little stiff because it's just not the most fertile environment for yeah it's, for it, you know what I mean. It's, it's like the comedy version of meeting your partner's parents. parents. Yeah, that's yeah. how it feels. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about the the blocks. We, you know, we we touched on um, when you were a previous guest the shit show you come from. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell, tell the listeners again, uh, uh, youngest of 10 kids, uh, alcoholic dad, uh, who said on his deathbed, didn't love us. I said, I don't think you loved us. And he was like, I didn't great. Thank you. Um, so with that in mind, like, you know, tried to, so to have spent my, uh, adulthood trying to, I, I, you know, I told somebody the other day, I feel like the way I approach my emotional state is like a dissatisfied customer who's like, has called the 1-800 number and is like, yeah, put me in touch with somebody else. Like, put, yeah, you can kind of, I'll hold, I'll hold. And I'm just, I won't stop. Started with, um, therapy, and the, again, I don't know what I said last time, but my the thing I don't like about therapy is there's ten, there's dozens of different kinds of therapy, but they don't tell you that. You just think it's like Freudian, the kind of shit you see in movies. So you just sit there, and then you go like, oh wait, there's CBT. There's just all these other modalities that they just don't tell you because it's a business thing where it's like a Volvo dealer isn't going to tell you you could get a Volkswagen. 
So they just want to keep you on the lot, even if it's not the most effective uh, form for you. So I think uh, therapists that have, you know, kind of a one sheet about their approach when you're searching for a therapist can can help with that. Uh, but I've never seen that. Yeah. Yeah, when you do a search for for therapists, you know, it'll say, you know, I've focused on, uh, you know, cognitive behavioral or okay, I don't know any theory or I don't know anything. I'm a yes. total amateur. Yeah, it's like saying I do V8s, V6s. <laughs> I have no fucking idea what you're talking about. Well, I did experience what you're talking about with a therapist once, who about six months into it, she's. She kept asking, uh, talking about archetypes. And after a while, I was like, I, I'm not digging this. You know, well, I, I had my to- first original there talking about fucking dream analysis. I was like, lady. Yeah, she did that I have as the well. Same dream every night. Lorne Michaels was mad at me. <laughs> it's the same dream every night. We don't need to go over this. It's just a very like literal showbiz stress dream. That's okay. it. So why are you, well, maybe we should have, no, I don't want to, it's fucking useless. Anyhow, so I did that. I, I just got the feeling it's in my body from talking about it in therapy. I was like, this is in my body. I can talk about this endlessly. It's fucking in my body. So I went to some somatic therapy. I just started somatic taking experiencing? Ad, yeah, yeah. Uh, tra- traumatic release exercises, somatic experiencing. Nothing? Huh? Nothing? No, I liked it. It was, oh, I okay. shook, I shook so much. I went to a different one. I went to an EMDR person and I started shaking around her and she was like, your shaking's not really organizing. What does that mean? Like people will shake and then it will sort of clear up. Uh Mine was never clearing up. It was just the same amount every time. I just did everything. Right. And, and I kept like, yes, I'll hold. Yep. I'll try something else. I'll try something else. And you may be thinking like, well, you didn't give any of it a chance. I gave it all a chance. I gave it all like, I gave therapy a decade and a half until a therapist finally was like, maybe you should get married and have kids. I was like, what? Why? Like maybe that you should was, add more pressure. Well, it was just like, not, that's not, what is that Freudian? Who, where right. did you hear that? Is that Jungian psychology? Like, cause she had gotten married late in life and whatever. Um, and she was like, she apologized, but it was kind of like, this is a fucking racket. So what happened? Um, and then finally I ended up doing, I mean, I did meditation retreats. I did fucking, uh, TMS, which was actually helpful. Transcranial magnetic stimulation did that uh, in America. Then I went to China. I did it there because you can get a stronger, yeah, stronger current basically. Yeah. Um, and I, I struck out on that 50 sessions at the max thing. I even went temporarily blind in my left eye for about 15 seconds and nothing. Fuck. Yeah. Sorry, dude. Yeah. It stinks. Uh, what did you feel from TMS and how long did it last? TMS, I just felt sort of a little sunnier for in how general. Long? Years. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was helpful, and I and I've heard that people can go back for you know you can get upkeep, yeah. And why did you not choose to do that, or did you? Well, I did. I considered China the upkeep. I think China. I went maybe four years after the original, and China. I think helped, 
and then somebody sent me an article about ayahuasca, the Peruvian Amazonian plant mm-hmm. medicine, and you have to go off SSRIs to take that. So I did go off SSRIs and I did it and I've done ayahuasca probably 15 times in the last two years. And it's been, that's been hugely helpful. And also, and then I did DMT, the five MEO DMT, Bufo Alvarius, which fucking destroyed me. But I did temporarily or last five months of like, was not myself. Um, In a negative way. Yeah. In a, I mean, two days, I can tell you the whole chronology. Sure. Pretty wild. Um, was in New York, was doing blocks off Broadway and, uh, went to, I, I couldn't, my, my, my ayahuasca circles out here. And I was like, ah, you know, uh, DMT always sound five MEO DMT always sounded too severe to me. It's an intense version of the, whatever the ayahuasca. Ayahuasca. Yeah. DMT is the active ingredient in ayahuasca and, but you digest it through your stomach. So it's more like an edible where edibles kind of hit people strongly, but um, it's the difference between smoking something and eating it. It's like if you smoke it, it goes directly into your bloodstream, like immediately, right? If you eat it, it's got it, it like it's filtered, right? Well, don't you eat ayahuasca or you drink it? it. That's what I'm saying. You drink ayahuasca, so it goes to your stomach and therefore it gets sort of like eased into your body. 5-MeO-DMT, you smoke and it's... Oh, you smoke blast it. Blast it off, yeah. And and uh, you know hold that thought. Remember where where we are. One of the things that I'm told about uh doing a ayahuasca experience is it's very important to uh know the legitimacy of the people guiding you through it. And I don't know what is involved in saying this person knows what they're doing, you know, etc. Et I've had I've done it with three different practitioners and all uh in the states or did you yeah travel? all in the states okay one is excellent who i go to all the time mm-hmm. one was just like i call him a rickety shaman he's just not i had a really bad experience and he offered very little guidance and another one is uh was like i did it in new york and it was just kind of like all right, we're going to wrap it up. And it was kind of like, dude, I just drank. I'm still on the, yeah, we got to go. So it was like it. Yeah. You, but I, you don't know until you're there is the truth. I mean, and also the guy I did it with in New York was recommended. It just wasn't very good. Uh, and, and I just want to interject at this point. This is all ayahuasca. Just FYI. Uh, right. And I get an email from a very, very concerned listener after I was talking about ayahuasca with a a previous guest. And this guy essentially said, my son lost his fucking mind on ayahuasca and has not come back. Um, You know, you have a responsibility to the people listening to your show to warn them of the dangers uh, of this. Please don't promote this thing. And I understand that was his experience, his son's experience, but I feel an obligation to mention that there, there is danger uh, sure. involved. Yeah. I mean, it's like the antidepressants, people commit suicide on them. You know what I mean? Like these, when you're dealing with the mind, 
it's the wild west the the ayahuasca sort of popularity wave is i think helpful but i also am a i've had a very bad experience on ayahuasca i've had an incredibly bad experience on dmt so ayahuasca i've i've done since and DMT, I wouldn't do if you offered me one billion with a B dollars. Literally, would not do it. Not worth one. Neil, you could change lives. You could. Do, I'm sorry, I will not do that ever again. Yeah, give me a snapshot of the worst moments. Uh, of the, DMT. the the DMT I did on a on a Monday, and it was you know the DMT experience is fucking wild and the Michael Pollan wrote about it in the book How to Change Your Mind and he said where DMT is the only plant medicine he did that he could not I guess it's not a plant medicine it's because it's toad venom so um, the only medicine he did that that uh, he could make neither heads nor tails inscrutable could not didn't understand it it took him to before the Big Bang, which is exactly where it took me. Imagine that. You inhale thing, and it's like a whip it in terms of like, you're gone. Like, and you're gone. You're three seconds. Gone. Transported. And do you... Your body basically passes out. Some people in the experience are in this other world, but are screaming, are writhing, are you know, tensing their muscles, like you know, their, 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 uh, body is having a live human experience, but their mind and is elsewhere. Uh, they have no idea what their body's doing. When, when I tried, uh, ketamine treatments, yep. I it, also it, did ketamine. It was a combination of, you know, kind of going to another headspace where there was, hallucinations but i was i always knew i was on a cot in a doctor's office undergoing this treatment so there was i was tethered when you did the yeah yeah i had that similar experience was there any sense of being tethered or i would dude i was no i was not i was in the reality of this before the big bang white void I was not Talk I was not even a person. I was I told somebody it was like drowning. My mind was drowning. I didn't know anything. I didn't have a thought. I didn't I didn't know how to breathe. I didn't know direction. I didn't know uh what sight was. I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything. I I feel like I felt my first synapse form. Like clean slate terror. And people call it an ego death. I looking at it I wouldn't say it was an ego death cuz I was tr- I was dis I was so disoriented and I was trying to orient myself. There was a self there. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I was trying to comprehend what was happening. It was like being dropped into this other world and you don't know so what all, all the references you had gathered in your life in my life as a human being were gone, which in many ways is the opposite of ketamine, because ketamine, at least to me, was an intense 
mental exercise in making connections be- yeah. between I mean, things I mean, I think they can patterns. all do a bunch of stuff. Right. Um, but this was just trying to comprehend this incomprehensibility. You know, that's a 25-minute experience. Slowly but surely, my my personality, my human personality and consciousness kind of came back into me. You came out after 25 yeah, you minutes. Come, it slowly, and I was like, like pettiness would come in. And I'd be like, no, I'm not doing it anymore. Like, I felt like I could rebuild myself. Obviously, I'm not I, doing what anymore? Being petty. I'm not going to oh. do that in this incarnation of me. Gotcha. But like, it's software. So it's just, com- it's coming back. Um, So that was like, you know, I inhaled at eight and I was walking home at nine in New York. And it was like, all right, that was like crazy, but manageable. That was on Monday. Saturday night, I'm doing my show in New York. The comedian Ryan Hamilton, buddy of mine, came. And it was super fun. And it was great to do the show for him and hear him laughing. And it was like just a fun show. We're walking home. And I'm telling him, like, Ryan, who grew up Mormon, I'm going like, oh, I believe in God. I was an atheist before, and now I believe in God because of ayahuasca, which is a whole other issue. Not issue, but story. I was an atheist before I did ayahuasca, and then on my third ceremony, I was like, oh, I'm in the presence of God. Okay. God's real. Cool. Um, I'm telling Ryan about it, and then I go, and as I'm telling him about it, I'm telling him about DMT, and I'm telling him about my experience, and as I'm talking about it, kind of feel myself drifting back into it like into the experience like the term acid flashback is from olden times but and i would always go what does that even mean i was having basically they call it in dmt they call it a reactivation which when you inhale it i read a paper that said 70 percent of people have a reactivation they don't tell you that 70 70 like dog tell me that um, and slowly but surely I was like drifting. I tried to watch a documentary in my house, drifting, drifting. And I was like, I need to go to sleep. Cause I got to like, get out of this, go to sleep, wake up the next morning, still drifting, drifting, drifting. And the next two days, I would say I was 40% human and 60% in this infinite void space. So I'm on a, I'm on a date. And a coffee date and like the right side of my vision is like turning to static. And I'm like, I'm like, my consciousness might be disintegrating. That's gotta be. It's beyond, it's terror beyond anything. I would have paid for terror. Do you know what I mean? Like I would have welcomed terror. This was so far past terror. This was incomprehensibility. This was. I had the thought, maybe I'm in God's imagination. Like, just shit that is cute as, like, a thing to think about during meditation, because you can't get there. I was there. And couldn't leave there. Yes. And at one point I thought, I might have to kill myself. To get out of this. Yes. But I knew I couldn't, because I was just going to be heading into more of it. Wow. Yeah, it was so far past reasonable that... It was like in, I was, again, my mind was drowning on incomprehensibility. I had an experience where, and I don't know if I dreamt this or. Did you share this with the person you were on a date with? No, no. You, uh, what am I going to say? Um, 
I just wanted to like stay engaged with a person because I was like, this can't be bad, right? Um, so you know, just try. I knew I was just a friend of mine who I saw that day. Like said, you just seem really preoccupied. It was like right next to me. This thing, like you know, this can we can drag you. No, it wasn't even menacing me. It was just existed this other uh level of consciousness like that to me was all right so at a certain point i don't know if i dreamt this or experienced it in the original dmt experience but i was in the presence of the central creation force of the universe and it was like a like kind of an overhanging granite black granite infinite couldn't you couldn't see the top of it but like overhanging and we were at the bottom of it and me and one other person and i was like we're both like this is god and then we both caught like a beam from the force and it was like what are you what am i what is anything nameless faceless person yeah yeah i couldn't pick them out like i don't know it was just like a vague human um it was george clinton no i'm kidding um so just just a level beyond anything that you're you know it's like i i told somebody i couldn't watch the apple tv screensaver like where they show nature those like 4k Mm -hmm. nature shots couldn't look at them so i was like i can't look at this it was too i understood how old slash young the earth was and you're not supposed to we have blinders on for a reason when people go that mountain's 500,000 years old and you go that's crazy nothing happens I understood how old that was and it wasn't that old to me based on where I was so why was this why were these insights terrifying because under other circumstances, as you said, somebody meditating, those might be calming. Because I was, I said, meditation, you get a 35,000 foot view. I had a 35 trillion foot view where it was like, it wasn't your problems are small. It was, you're in a system that you is incomprehensible to you. Like this central force is to, to your detriment. It's terrifying. If you're in a thing that you can't understand, we can only understand so much of the world, right? Like we have our little things and it take, we like, we're doing a jigsaw puzzle and we're doing where the pieces in the thing are like direction or traffic lights or like f- f- frames for lack of a better term. I was I was shown or experienced some version of consciousness that was I believe like not for humans to see. Like you're not you can't comprehend this. And it felt like my brain was drowning. Like you can't like you can't comprehend it. It's not it's like the end of 2001 or something, but times 500. Do you think, you know, being the child of an alcoholic and growing up where you grew up, 
you know, kind of the, the, the stereotype of that person is that control is very important, or at least a sense of control. Mm-hmm. Do you think that factored into your experience of these thoughts? Or is, uh, you know, is, is I mean, that I've me tried just trying to, to make... like, you know, unpack it and get what I could from it. I mean, it was just kind of like, hey, kid, you like, you like, uh, you like patterns? Here you go. Here's the biggest. Here's the here's here here's really the pattern. And uh you can't comprehend it. It's not comprehensible. That again, but I what are the odds I got that right? You know what I mean? Like I there's no way. I don't know. I don't understand why I was shown or why I experienced what I experienced. Mm-hmm. I it was just all I can say is it was fucking terrifying how in scale because it wasn't the central creation force was not a person it was like it was a force it's a force that could create a person and a river and a black hole and a nebula and a star and a toenail and you know what i mean like was were there any personality attributes none. to that was the other thing that was terrifying there was no humanity to it Someone again, this so cold and uncaring, kind of not uncaring. It wasn't callous and it wasn't vindictive, it was just neutral. It just wasn't, it was, didn't deal in human emotions. Gotcha. It just dealt in, which was also really hard to deal with because somebody explained to me there's a level one word appeared to me in the original DMT 25 minute thing. And the word was samadhi, which is an Indian word, and it's a level of insight or or it's a level of like a nirvana level. It's a level, I'm forgetting the word, but, um, and I thought it was a breathing type, but it turns out it's a level of uh, divine consciousness. It's the only thing that appeared in writing. Someone said that's the level I was on. And on that level, there's no human motion. It just feels static and stagnant. Did, did that contribute to a feeling of aloneness? Yeah, it, there's not. There was no activity. Uh, yeah, yeah, it did. A, a, a void of community? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or connection? Yes, for sure. For sure. There are Apparently, there are other levels of consciousness... Why am I forgetting the term? But it's like the most obvious one of the one of the special one of the famous uh, Hindu or Buddhist words that I'm forgetting. But um, yeah, it was really cold, like emotionally. All right, I I, I think I get a, a a feeling for it now, and it sounds objectively. Uh, I terrible. usually get the chills when I talk about it. I'm not yeah. now. Yeah. Um, I don't know why. But, but yeah, so it was like way beyond, and it took me, I got like a half a percent better every day. Um, Over the course of, would you say five months? Yeah. Um, and at one point I went to the dentist and got laughing gas, got thwarted back to the white void. Cause I forgot, like I forgot I shouldn't do any sort of. With the, with the sound of a drill. Well, yeah, it wasn't even, the, we hadn't even, they were like prepping me for the drill, but it was like, like I just 
they were like, take a big inhale of like laughing gas and I was fucking transported. And I was like, all right. I literally was like, all right, can we take a pause real quick? And then had to start over. So it took me till that was in November. I mean, realistically, May, June, where I was like, okay, I'm myself again. Now, the punchline to it is I'm a better version of myself. I'm significantly less depressed. I'm significantly less, I think, less angry. I'm less, uh, my take, I'm, I can fall in love easier. I can like, I'm, I think I'm more open. And I also have just lighter energy to people's, like, I read lighter to people. Like, people I haven't seen in a while. I was like, what, what, are you, what have you been doing? Which is great. But the process was nearly unbearable. Like, I'm going to have to kill myself. Like, that level of unbearable. We'll be right back after this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know. Wow. Yeah. So the thing I said about, like, I kept saying, no, let me transfer me. I want to speak to the manager. And I kept getting transferred and I got transferred to the right place. Right. But it was like, Hey, you want to, you want to be different? We can do it. Let's go. It wasn't, I didn't get, I like, you know, I wasn't warned about what was possible. I mean, you hear like my son never came back and all that stuff. And like, you just got, I'm not going to be fucking, but there were points where I was like, Oh, I'm going to be a drug casualty. I'm going to be Sid Barrett. It happened once on ayahuasca and it happened on DMT. So I got in touch with the right department. But they really, I mean, it really, it was Monday. It was the fucking WrestleMania. (laughs) This episode is sponsored by When Breath Becomes Air. When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi is the exquisitely observed memoir of an idealistic young neurosurgeon attempting to answer the question, what is makes a life worth living as he deals with his own terminal cancer diagnosis. It's a stunning reminder to live while we are alive. A must read for anyone in medicine from a doctor turned patient. For healthcare workers, expand your view on patient care and the fragile beauty of our mortal lives through Kalanithi's unforgettable words. Some of the questions Kalanithi wrestles with in this book include what makes life worth living in the face of death? What do you do when the future flattens out into a perpetual present? When the future is no longer a ladder towards your goals in life? What does it mean to have a child, to nurture a new life as another fades away? When Breath Becomes Air is a number one New York Times bestseller, Pulitzer Prize finalist, and named one of the best books of the year by the New York Times Book Review, People, NPR, The Washington Post, Slate, and more. When Breath Becomes Air is available wherever books are sold. Learn more at prh.com slash breath. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. So, if what would you say your anger was on a scale from 1 to 10? 
before it, uh, and and the same with your depression. Anger. Ayahuasca helped me with anger. It helped me with misogyny. Um, ayahuasca was the thing that, and, and DMT, where I was like, it's in my body. Ayahuasca and DMT got into my body and and changed my body. I'm not even kidding. Changed my, uh, the way, if, I, if, everyone, if every person is a filter for, existence or whatever or reality like it changed my filter it changed the way i metabolize information it changed the way i metabolize interactions it just i'm just different in my body um so anger is dissipated i'm still it's not gone but it's like not my number one response and um i'd say out of 10 i was probably a seven and now I'm probably a f- three or four. So halved it. And depression? Depression. I had dysthymia. I just had like low grade dysthymia. So persistent, never ending. I'd say six out of 10. And now I'd say one. Wow. Yeah. What are some of the things? But Go ahead. I paid full price. <laughs> for the change what are some of the things especially the subtle things that you're able to take joy or at least feel i'm not quite to joy yet but i am appreciation not there yet this is sounding less and less uh you know what i'm worse than i've ever been I'm kidding. <laughs> uh it's a seven uh no but the the heaviness is gone. I got gotcha. you. So like there's heaviness. There's like a weighted blanket that's gone. So I used to seem morose and intense. And now I think I just seem intense. <laughs> Which is like great. Great. Let's now we'll take it from here. Now I'll keep. I have a spiritual life now. And I will pursue the changes that I would like within that spiritual life. And. And I will continue to drink ayahuasca and I will continue to meditate and I will continue to take antidepressants as needed, if need be. Um, I will just continue my sort of, I, you know, I, I, it's not, it's, I always say depression and these things are like diabetes or codependency is like diabetes. Like you need to take insulin. You're going to need to do something consistently forever. And there's the point in people in in when people get diagnosed and they're like, I'm fucking do this forever. It's cheating. Well, there's the cheating. And it's also this is a pain in the ass. Right. And I just think neither one is the. the yeah, maybe you need insulin. True, but yeah, but you need yeah, insulin. get over the fact that yeah, you you're need gonna insulin. Need yep. You're going to need it. Yeah. So, yeah, the, it's not the, a colostomy the, bag. It's a right. fucking. It's not even insulin, by the way. It's not even as inconvenient as insulin. Right. It's just a practice that you need to do. And the diabetics that take insulin don't do it because they love needles. No. They do it. I mean, the real, the the really, the ones that. Sure, the junkies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The the, real. The the trip to Dreamline. Yeah, the the ones who really love insulin. (laughs) Um, But yeah, they're not doing it. They don't love it. They don't, they don't, Mm -hmm. whatever. It's like, it's, it's, you don't have to be proud or ashamed. It's just neutral. Uh, you mentioned a uh, 
misogyny. Mm-hmm. Having was it problematic before that? Was it low I think level? It's basic, basic male and male American male comedy cats and dogs like in group out group. Paint women are pains in the ass. Women are you know what I mean? Just like the joke writing engine. They're different than us. And now I just feel more like they're different than us and that's fine and I have empathy and I still notice it, but I'm not like, when are they going to change? I can change. It's just like, it's just the way it is. They just don't get it. Yeah. And just accepting like, and because I've gotten in, in ayahuasca ceremonies, such beautiful interactions with women in the circle that I'm just like, yeah, I can't. I gotta, I gotta not be, I really need to like see it from, I need to just be more. And it's even embarrassing to say that. It's like embarrassing to talk about, it's like talking about racism or something. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, I think it's definitely dissipated. My racism's gone up. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but no, I think it's definitely just from my interaction with women and my, my op- being more open makes, makes women more valuable. So the mean voice in your in your head. Yes. I'm sure it's been there since you were a kid. Yeah. We used to call it a New York attitude. <laughs> and then it we realized shortly thereafter, or not shortly after, we realized in the two thousands that it was a negative self talk. But before that it was like a cool Edgy. Edgy. Yeah, exactly. Smoke cigarettes, leather jacket cool guy who lived inside you but then i realized at a certain point it was like hugely i was cannibalizing myself when did you realize that i mean well i i realized that i thought you were supposed to and then did it lead to success because you were uncompromising you were uncompromising you were pitiless you were hard driving you were you know what i mean real yeah you were real you were the you know pressure makes diamonds and all that stuff uh but it also makes suicide (laughs) so so uh you know i just realized like this is a way i wrote it i literally wrote it down and was like i cannot show this to anyone because this my friends would be mad if they saw me talking to myself like this so it and what kinda, are some of the things that you told yourself and what are some whatever, of the things you tell any department yourself? you can romance business literally work a comedy ability um your body your digestive tract your hair your eye color your jaw shape your teeth your hands your fucking income your just endless endless comparing and despairing and like fucking endless endless without wake up go to sleep thinking about it wake up thinking about it like start the tape so has anything helped with that cognitive behavioral therapy when i saw just the list of like negative thought styles i was like shit like that's my family yeah that's my inner monologue um so Catching yourself again, it's hard. It's you got to be vigilant, but catching yourself doing it is really like a helpful 
thing. One of the things that a, a therapist helped me with uh, through CBT was the phrase, what are the facts on the ground? Like I have reality dysmorphia about my place, my accomplishments, my body, my teeth, my jaw, my hands. Like It's, it's all wrong. And do you ever uh, wonder how childhood trauma has affected that or you just think you're wired that way or... I think, yeah, I think it's, I talk about it in the show. When you're isolated, I was isolated as a kid, even though it was a big family, I would, I would, I just felt sort of alone and I would get like sent to my room and be by myself being like, where the fuck is everybody? You start to think it's your fault. And that's what happened to people during the pandemic. Everyone's isolated. They think it's their fault that their your body doesn't know why you're isolated. Your body thinks you got rejected by the tribe. So your body's like, you're fucked up. You fucked up. You need to improve. You need to. It's a good mechanism within us, like in theory, but mm-hmm. it, it, once you weaponize it, it's fucking unstoppable. So that's where CBT, I mean, I, the, I'd like to say that DMT made it, better i think it just made it vaguer and and also like the dips the the sort of um free fall spin outs are shorter they're the the troughs are shallower they're just two hours instead of two days um so there has been a bit of relief in that regard i have to i have actual therapy in two minutes oh okay um so no worries, buddy. We uh, could also, I could do it and we could resume. No, no. That's, you're dead to me. I love it. <laughs> um, so, so yeah. So I, I don't know if this was helpful. I, I was what helpful. I would say is my advice, if you're asking is, and you're not just <laughs> try shit. Just don't stop saying, yeah, you can put me on hold. Couldn't agree. I'll try another thing. Yep. Yes. I'll try it. I'll try it. I'll try it. I'll try it. You may get more than you bargained for, but you will get, you're going to get, you can change. It's just fucking, you can't control the circumstances. Yeah. You're not going to be in. And isn't, isn't that the very definition of, and I couldn't agree more. And isn't that the very definition of help is that you're starting control and trying something that is, you know, Perhaps outside your comfort zone. And there's risks involved. Yeah. That's the thing is there is risks, but the, or you can stay miserable. All right. So what we're saying is join a biker gang. See what happens. Goodbye. Thanks, Neil. All right, buddy. Thanks. Many thanks to Neil and uh, yeah, taking time out of his day to uh, talk about the collapse of his brain publicly. Uh, fuck. That sounded so intense. So, so intense. I've had bad acid trips and that sounds way, way worse than anything that I've uh, ever experienced. So, um, as I said, no surveys. We'll be back with surveys next week. Uh, And I just want to say, if you're out there and you're feeling stuck, uh, just remember, help Help is all around. We just got to find our our people and, uh, and ask for it. And never forget that you are not alone. And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.